in the way of announcements this morning, just uh, uh, a reminder. Oh, yes. Yeah. We want to dismiss the children for their Sunday school. You were pointing at the kids and I was thinking, yeah, I've got the Christian school announcement right here. (laughs) Boy, (laughs) that's a lot of missing people all of a sudden. (laughs) It's great. Uh, For New Life Christian School is doing their uh, fundraiser. Uh, They're having a uh, spring raffle. Uh, The drawing is to be held on Thursday, May 13th. And uh, the tickets that have to be sold by uh, May 7th, I think. is So that's how long we have to get a hold of them. And so the first prize, the grand prize of the raffle is $1,000. Uh, second prize is $500. And third prize is $200 uh, restaurant package. So the first two are cash and the, la- and the, sa- the third prize is a, a $200 worth of restaurant package. Uh, Coupons and tickets and stuff. So uh, it's quite a quite a good deal. The the tickets are five dollars a piece, <laughs> and uh, uh, but anyway, uh, last week uh, we announced it, and, and uh, there was a line forming to to buy the tickets, and the tickets were gone before the line was gone. So if you didn't get tickets and you want to get them now, we have them. And, uh, Ron, I'm going to give them to you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then, uh, so, catch get a hold of Ron, and he'll be glad to service you with tickets. And uh, so that's it in the way of announcements. Uh, Let's go ahead and, and pray as we begin our message this morning. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be here together. We ask, Lord, that You would be with us again, clearing our minds and our thoughts so that we could focus on You. You, Through Your Holy Spirit, Lord, teach us and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we've been going through, uh, very quickly, the book of Isaiah. Uh, We just uh, basically gave, you know, three Sundays to getting through it, and uh, it, there's a three what you might call natural divisions in the book of Isaiah. So last week we focused on verses, uh, chapters 1 through 39, which was basically the idea of the coming king. Jesus is coming, and we, you, know, you look at the verses uh, uh, in chapter 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And so we have that picture in verse uh, 14 in chapter 7. Uh, the virgin shall cons- have you know give birth and and so all of these things referencing the the coming Messiah and so uh, that's what we focused on last week uh, this week is uh, the the suffering servant uh, verses uh, chapters forty through fifty five and then the the last uh, section fifty six through sixty six 
is uh, the anointed conqueror, which we will look at next Sunday. So, uh, we're going to focus on the servant of God, the suffering servant out of Isaiah uh, as our focus this morning. And just as, as we do, I want you to turn to chapter 40 just to, to uh, get... It's, chapter 40 is kind of a... Uh, prelude to to the the suffering servant and a tying in the fact that he's coming and and the, the, we get to chapter 6 or verse 6 of chapter 40 it says a voice cry, says cry and say what shall I cry all flesh is grass and the beauty like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower fades when the breath of the lord blows on it surely the people are grass the grass withers and so there's this need for a savior there's this need for for someone to come and so God says, I'm going to send someone, the Messiah, but we're going to even send someone ahead of him. And so if we go just before that, uh, we look at a voice cries in the wilderness, verse 3, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the de- uh, desert a highway for, God, for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord, the Lord has spoken. So, this one crying in the wilderness, we know who it's talking about. And we have it confirmed in the, in the uh, Gospels that John the Baptist. Okay, So, again, Isaiah is nailing these prophecies. Uh, and to me, it's just absolutely... Uh, mind-boggling, um, and one of the things that that, that really, uh, before I actually uh, received the Lord as my Savior, uh, I'd been studying Scripture to figure out really how to rescue my friends from crazy church, and uh, <laughs> and and the. Uh, when I started studying prophecy, I got really captivated by it because of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that have that were fulfilled, that and and are being fulfilled. And you realize, well, if all of those that have been fulfilled are done, then what about all those that have yet been made? Are they going to be fulfilled too? Well, the odds are, when you start looking at it, the the the, the the odds of it become bigger and bigger that it's amazing that certain prophecies got filled, like the birth of Christ, where he's going to be uh, in Bethlehem, all of the things that were predicted or prophesied about him. And so what I want to say, though, is, is, is the prophecies are amazing. And they're not just vague, general things. In many ways, they are very specific and those and, and, and Isaiah, the ones we're going to look at today, are in that category. So uh, God you know, says he's going to send an, uh, a, a person ahead of the Christ to prepare the way for the Lord. That's going to be John the Baptist, and then the Lord will come. And this Lord has an agenda. He has certain things that he is the, to accomplish. And most of us are familiar with the, the chapter 53, Isaiah, the suffering servant. And, and you're going to hear more of it today as well. But, but you're, it's, it's the, some of you may not know or have not heard often 
that in addition to that song, and it's considered a song, uh, the way it is written, there are three songs prior to it written in Isaiah that are also the servant songs. Uh, four songs about the servant of the Lord. The first song is, is starts in uh, chapter 42 and goes verses 1 through uh, 9. And uh, it starts out in verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And the, the word nations here is, is a, a word that actually is used to describe the Gentile world. So, uh, it's, it could say to the Gentiles just as easily. And, and it says, uh, more about him, you know, uh, he gives the breath to the people on it, the spirit of those who walk in it. It's just, it's so many things to say about him. And it ends at verse 9. So that first song, the Lord's chosen servant, I have chosen. And somebody would say, well, you know, uh, that was a kind of a given. Jesus, you know, it says he also volunteered. What you have to do is put the Godhead together and say, it, it, it's an agreement. Jesus agreed, this is what I will do. I will do this. And he, he is chosen before the foundation of the world. He was Prepared to do this. He is the chosen servant. And it also says that he, the Holy Spirit will be upon him. And if you look at uh, uh, chapter 12 of Matthew, you will find that uh, uh, this verse is quoted again in reference to Jesus. Let's see if I... Got it right here. Matthew chapter 12, uh, yeah, verse 18. Okay, actually back up to verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, uh, withdrew from there and many followed Him and He healed them all and ordered them not to make Him known. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, My servant whom I have chosen, My beloved whom is My soul is well pleased, I will put My Spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And it goes on. The, the idea is, is right out of Isaiah, Matthew says, here, it's happening. What happens is these become the credentials, so to speak, to identify Jesus. The Messiah can't just show up and say, hey, I'm the Messiah and do a few nice things. He could even do some miraculous things and fail to be the Messiah because he has to meet the criteria set by all these prophecies. And, and so, as we go through this, uh, we, we see that uh, you know, this is happening. By the way, at Jesus' baptism, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and God said, this is the one in whom I am well pleased. And it, it, again, tying this Isaiah to even his baptism. Um, the, so that first song, chapter 42, uh, in chapter 49, verses 1 through 13, uh, is the second song. Uh, so just a few pages over. Uh, 
And what I uh, want to look at is just uh, specifically verse 6 uh, there. It says, uh, it's two, he says, and the, the he that is speaking here is, is, the, is God uh, has become my strength, he says. If you pick up from the last verse, it ties together. It is too light a thing that you, referring to the, the servant, uh, should be my servant. To rise up the tribe, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may teach to the end of the earth. I think it's an interesting thing that here he's predicting again the Gentiles being included. It's it's too light a thing that you're just going to go to the to the to the nation of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations, for the world, for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God is showing us that that the purpose of the Hebrew people was to reveal who God is to the rest of the world. And they really set that aside. So, God says, well, I'm going to set an announcer announcing my Messiah, uh, the servant, and, and, and he's going to make sure that it happens. To the end of the earth, he will be known. So, he's going to be a light to the nations, not just Israel. In the third song, it starts in chapter 50, uh, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear and I, and I was not rebellious. I turned not uh, backward. I gave, now, what, what we get to this point is, is that what we're learning is that the suffering servant he has shown himself to be uh, the chosen one through this the, the the first song, the second one. He's going to be the light to the nations. This one is revealing his obedience. He's going to be obedient as a man would be to God. In other words, he's going to humiliate himself by becoming a man and serving as a man uh, within the framework of his his life and his ministry. I turned not backward. I went forward. And then verse 6 is the key to this for, for what I want to share this morning. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and, 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 and the spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Jesus it starts to talk about the 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 fact that he was uh, struck in the face and on the back he was scourged he was whipped these are allusions to that here uh, I gave my back to those who strike my cheeks to those who pull out the beard and and so he it's starting to talk about the the punishment uh, the, the 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 that he went through. Uh, for the pain, the suffering he went through. Uh, the, uh, uh, so his obedience is, is really important here. Uh, 
and, and there's an, a warning within the framework of this, this last verse in, in chapter 50. Behold all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You're thinking, what is he saying here? Behold all you who kindle a fire. In other words, you who are starting to try to serve me, but doing it all in your own strength. You kindle the fire. You lead the torches. You're doing the things and, and you're even bringing, if you understand where Isaiah is writing and what's happening in the nation of Judah at this time, you're even bringing what was called strange fire, okay, which was uh, worship of idols. And he says, you know, you guys will lie in torment. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that picture of, of, of God, you know, you aren't obedient. They need a Savior who has been obedient perfectly. In verse 7 also, Jesus says, I have set my face like a flint. In Luke 9.51, it says that He turned His head towards Jerusalem and was like, like a, 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 just focused. In other words, He couldn't be detoured. The disciples... We're saying, hey, what are you doing, man? We, you, know, we, you know, that's a dangerous place for us right now. And Jesus, it says, He set His face towards Jerusalem. Why? Because it was towards what needed to happen. What He had promised that He was going to do. And, and, and like I said, loosely applied here, some of the, that He would go through, the, the, the scourging on his, his, uh, and, and, and the beatings that He was going to go through uh, are implied the fourth song, which is what I want to focus on this morning, is found in Isaiah 53. But actually, it starts in Isaiah 52. And uh, the, the last three verses of Isaiah 52 uh, are tied to this picture of, of the suffering servant. And they're very important verses. It's, it's like, I, I, I put in my notes, they're like an introduction or a preface <laughs> to what is coming on. Let me show you. Verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations, or he shall uh, uh, pour out on many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. Their eyes have been opened. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Their ears have been opened. And, and so, in a, in a kind of a preface to what he's going to say next, he's saying, he is highly exalted. He hasn't been highly exalted yet, but he's saying it's going to happen. All of these things are going to happen. He's going to be highly exalted and, and, and uh, just uh, amazed in the sense of, of what is going to happen for him. He's going to be lifted up. And then he turns around and he says, but 
just looking at the initial circumstances, you almost think, how could that be the thing that's going to happen? He was marred. He was beaten. Uh, look again at verse uh, 14. As many were astonished at you, or amazed, actually appalled. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. What is that picture in your mind? He was beaten and, and, and scourged beyond the ability to be recognized. And his form beyond that of children of mankind. In other words, he doesn't look like a person anymore. But that's how he's going to sprinkle or, or pour out on many nations. And the kings will ultimately shut their mouths. Their eyes will be open. They will see. Their ears will be open. They'll understand. So, he's going to be highly exalted, but before that happens, he's going to be marred. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be beyond recognition in the pain and suffering that he's going to go through. But as a result of this, many the, the, the nations are going to see. The kings are going to shut their mouths and, and uh, they're going to see and hear the Word of God and, and, and say, it's real. Isaiah starts out then in verse 51 of chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. What does that tell you about Jesus? Ordinary. You walk down the streets, you wouldn't turn your head and say, oh, wow, that's someone extra special. He looked like just like everybody else. There was nothing unique about him. I remember a, a play our kids did back in the, in the uh, early 80s. Uh, and, and the idea was that how come Jesus didn't come as a king? You know, if he'd only come as a king, everybody would have just immediately, everything would have been okay. He wouldn't have had to do the cross. He wouldn't have had, you know. But you've got to understand, that wasn't what he was there to do. He came as a man. In fact, Second Peter uh, chapter 2 uh, says that he, he, he emptied himself and became a man. And not just a man, but a servant to men. So he was just like everybody else. Goes on now, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows or a man of pain and suffering and, uh, and acquainted with grief. And as one from the men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So in those first three verses, we see the humility of Christ that he was put down, he wasn't exalted and lifted up. Yet it says he's going to be, but, in, but something else has to happen first. And so we see the humility, the pain, the rejection, the suffering. By the way, it's interesting, chapter uh, 53, verse 7 and 9 pick up in that same uh, stuff. 
says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb he was led to the slaughter, like a sheep he was before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. In other words, where should Jesus have been born? I mean buried. He should have been buried in what's called the potter's field. With no marker. Because he was crucified. He was hung on a, on a, on a, on a tree. Yet he throws in here. And with a rich man in his death. That's the reality that when he was taken off the cross. You know where he was buried. He was buried in... Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. A rich man's tomb. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, there was nothing to blame him for. You remember what Pilate was trying to do? He was trying to get out from underneath it. At one point he realized, he said, I can't find anything guilty about this guy. And so what did they come up with him? He says, "He's, he's going to be a king We have no king but Caesar. What hypocrisy. Those people hated Caesar. And now they're saying Caesar's our king. What he had come to do is what we we look at in verse 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs. And he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. Of us all. He bore our griefs, bore our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. Now, and that's a, that, that idea of being wounded and pier, or pierced for our transgressions is extensive. It's, he was pierced in his hands, in his feet, in his side. In a circle around his head, his blood flowed from all of that, plus the stripes that he had taken. In fact, it even goes as far as to say that by his stripes we are healed, meaning we are made whole in God. Where it says he, we were, he was crushed for our iniquities, it's the way a wine press crushes the grapes. I don't know what you know about old wine presses, but you know there's on, on a, a, a barrel with slit sides, and the grapes start to you, you bring the pressure by this big turning wheel that pushes the lid of this thing down through the press, and and as it goes down, it, it gets down to the point where it's precious. It, it gets the very last drop of juice from the grapes. Jesus poured out the very last drop of His life. He was crushed. And it's interesting. He was crushed. 
But he wasn't crushed by Satan. He was crushed by God. Satan wanted to crush him. He didn't get the chance. He got to bruise his heel was all he got to do. But Satan will receive his with the resurrection. It says, you know, Satan would be crushed. It takes us clear back to Genesis chapter 3. It says that he, he was crushed for our iniquities. That's for our sins. Let's make sure we understand that. For the things that we have done. What's, what's the easiest definition for sin? Does anybody want to offer a definition for sin this morning? Not hitting the mark. Okay? So you've, you chose the one where the, there's the target down the field, and there's a bullseye. Now, we're used to looking at targets that have bullseye and then multiple rings away from that with lesser values. This target only has one value, the bullseye. It has no other value to it. So if you miss the bullseye, you get no points. <laughs> okay? If anything, it's minus points. <laughs> and so the archer pulls back and he misses by a quarter of an inch. That's sin. If you hate me with my ability for archery, I missed the target and hit a tree, you know, 60 yards down the field or something, you know. I missed the side of the barn though. And, and, you know, and I, and I still, it's just said, and I've sinned. I've missed the mark. Anything that misses the mark, the mark is God's holiness. Anything that misses the mark is sin. That's what the iniquities are. We're crushed for our, he was crushed for my missing the mark. Upon him was the chastisement, chastisement, the punishment, the judgments, all of them that brought us peace. What kind of peace? Well, some people read this and they think, oh, well, I have peace of mind. That's not what it's talking about here. Although it ultimately would be there. It's talking about peace with God. You see, we can't approach the throne of God because you must be holy as God is holy. You must have always hit the mark. Never missed. If you've missed only once, which doesn't apply to anybody, but you would still have missed the mark and not be able to approach God. And so... This idea of, of, of peace is I can now approach the throne of God. God and I are at peace with each other. By stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And, and that's even quoted in, in the, the, the Romans. But not, all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the Lord has laid on him all of our going astray, the iniquity of us all, all of our going astray. That's the core of this song. It's the very heart of this song. It tells us in verse 10, that it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. 
to put him to to grief or to or, or to make him fatigue and sick or humbled, you know, all of the things that can go with that, the pain and suffering. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. How is he going to see after he's poured out every drop of his life? What has happened? There's an implication here for us. What has happened? The resurrection. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see. He's going to be resurrected and, and, be, and he's going to be satisfied with what he sees. By his knowledge shall the righteous one of my servant make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and has numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. He makes intercession for the transgressors. I looked at this and I thought, wow. He's made many righteous. We've been made at peace. And therefore, it says, verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. Who are the many? All those who rest in him for salvation. All who rest in him for his sacrifice on the cross. All that rest in him to be at peace with God. They don't depend on any of the works they do. They depend on the work of Christ. He was crushed for our iniquities. So it says, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now, uh, the, the word strong here is, is really with the numerous, the many who have come along with him. That's the church, folks. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the many. Uh, is, is basically what it's saying. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And I'm thinking, it says he's going to share with me the spoils. He's going to share with you the spoils. And it took me to, to chapter 8 of Romans. What does it say in, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our iniquity has been covered. It's been taken care of. What was necessary for it to happen was the very last bit of life had to be given because that's what's required to cover sin. If I had to pay for the sin myself, I would be dead. I would know there would be nothing left. So God says, I will cover you through my son. I will crush him instead. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, it says here in verse 10. No condemnation. Verse 14 of chapter 8 of of Romans says that that we're going to be uh, called sons of God, children of God. 
sons and daughters of God. Very next verse, uh, verse 15, says the spirit of adoption will be ours. God will fully adopt us. And when He fully adopts us, He adopts us with no reservations. So that it says there we can call out, Abba, Father. Now, I want to be careful with this. Some people have taken that to mean that we're on a personal, hey, how you doing, God, basis. Abba, Father. Because Abba is the familiar name for Father. Abba, Father. Okay? What it means is that we are in that type of relationship. He is our Father. We are His children. And, and he, he cares for us. And when we cry out, we say, Abba, Father, it means we acknowledge that we are in an intimate father-child relationship. So we get to cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, it says we're children of God. Verse 17 says we are heirs of God. Joint heirs of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother or my sister. And so as a result, we are joint heirs with Jesus. He shares the inheritance with us. All that He went through would be getting to the point where He would inherit the kingdom of God. This would be His. And He turns around and says, and I'm sharing it with you, my brothers and sisters. Abba Father, the, God, the Father, Jesus Christ, our brother, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We are a part of the kingdom of God in such an intimate, intimate way. Verse 37 of chapter 8 says, We are more than conquerors. You know, if you conquer, you get to, you know, in in the idea of battle and, and war, if you conquered something, you got to keep the spoils. Well, we're, we, it's bigger than that. It's more than that. It's not just the spoils. We have eternal life. I think of 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, uh, what is, what is uh, mortal is swallowed up by life. What is mortal, what is of the earth, what is uh, of the dirt and the dust, it, it, it's nothing. It is swallowed up by life. In Romans, verse 38 and 39. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing statement. We are at peace with God through Jesus Christ and as a result, 
Nothing can take that away from us. Nothing else in all creation. It goes through a whole list of things and says the things that normally could rob you of something, take away your freedoms, take away your rights, take away your... Nothing can take away what you have in Jesus Christ. Your Abba Father relationship cannot be disturbed. It cannot be undone. You heard me mention before the, the, the book, The Hound of Heaven. And uh, The Hound of Heaven was written by a man back in the late 1800s who uh, struggled with opium problems. And back then they had opium houses. Opium was a drug you, it was, you could easily get a hold of and use. And... Uh, uh, you go to the opium house and you smoke it and lay down for a while and you just stay there until uh, you're through your episode, if you will, and and then you get up and you leave. That was a common thing. And he was addicted. But he didn't want to be addicted because it stole from him his life. And so he comes out and he, and, and he asks God to deliver him. And he does. God comes into and saves him. But then he falls back into it again. That's why he calls God the hound of heaven. Because he came after him. God would not let him go. And he realized that God, once he was in the grace of God, there was nothing created that could separate him from God. When we come to communion, the recognition of what Jesus did, He went through the wine press, if you will. He was crushed for our iniquities. And we share the cup. It's a representation of that, the, the bloodshed. We come to the reality of, of that He was in the flesh. He suffered pain and sorrow and grief. And then He went to the cross and He literally died because He was what? In the flesh. We're told in in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's the first couple of verses. And then it goes down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. That was the beginning of His sacrifice. Again, coming back to, to how Peter looked at it. He says He emptied Himself. Came flesh. And in that flesh, He goes to the cross. In that flesh, He is poured out. And so when we share the bread, we realize that this is what He's speaking of. This is My body given for you. So, as we go for communion, uh, I would ask that you would... Uh, well, the singers would come up and... and, and and just through the song, listen carefully to the words and uh, prepare your hearts for communion.
Using our individual communion packets. If you didn't happen to get one, they are out on the table out there. You can go ahead and get one and come back and just sit right over here and we can finish with communion together. But at, uh, if you take just the bread, the first opening, pull the plastic back, you can uh, you get the bread out and then pull the cup, uh, the bottom part of that off and, you, and it exposes the, the grape juice. What I'd like to share with you is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He given thanks, He broke it and He said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let's share the cup. Father, we thank You for these emblems that remind us of the reality of what You went through. What Psalm 50 or what Isaiah 53 describes. You were crushed for our iniquities. But it shares very clearly that you also were back, you came back to life. That the resurrection has happened. Even though it didn't use those words, it shows that you were there after the fact as well. You gave everything. You paid it all. So that we could be listed as those in chapter 8, verse 1 of Romans. There's no condemnation in us. Thank You, Lord. We are at peace with You. Thank You, Lord. We worship and we praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before we leave, I'd just like to to have another closing prayer. Um, uh, There's two people who, uh, members of this community who passed away this last week, I would draw your attention to and pray for their families. Uh, some of you know the, the Noons family, uh, Chick and Judy. Uh, Chick passed away. And uh, so be praying for Judy and the boys. And, and uh, I can only think of Kenny Noons right now. I know there's another one. <laughs> but anyway, um, just uh, keep them in prayer. And then uh, Dave and Cheryl Nicholson, members of Hydesville Community Church, uh, Dave and, and Cheryl were on vacation and uh, he passed away in Bakersfield. And so I uh, want to be uh, praying for them. Dave had uh, gone through a four-year battle with cancer and so uh, uh, just to keep them in prayer, especially keep Cheryl and the family in prayer, Judy and her family in prayer. So let's, let's pray for them as we close today. Father, we come to You with a confidence that you, you told us that we can bring uh, our needs to you in, in prayer and the needs of our, uh, our, our loved ones and our friends to intercede on their behalf for prayer and that you would uh, extend your blessings and your grace and your mercy. And so we come to you asking for your grace, your mercy and your blessings to uh, flow over the Noons family and the Nicholson family, especially Judy and Cheryl and the, and the children and be with them. Comfort them as only You can. And then, Lord, cause the church to come alongside and, and meet their needs as, as, as much as possible. And we ask, Lord, that uh, You would be with them, strengthen them, and cause them to rejoice in the context that they know it's not over. And we all get to see each other again. And we look forward to that day. We think, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And we thank You. And now we ask that You would go with us. Be with us. That cause us to be the, the, the people, the men and women of God that You want us to be through Your Holy Spirit as we yield. Uh, cause us to even have that desire to yield. And open our eyes, open our ears so we can see and hear around us the things that we need to see and hear in order to serve You better. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for our salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close, please?
us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the love, love thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with His blood. He has brought us nigh to God. Let us love the Lord who bought us, pitied us when enemies called us by His grace and taught us, gave us ears and gave us eyes. He has washed us with His blood. He presents our souls to God. Let us sing through fierce temptation, threaten hard to bear us down. For the Lord, our strong salvation, hold and view the conqueror's crown. He who washed us with His blood soon will bring us home to God. Let us wonder grace and justice, join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice falls and has no more. He who washed us with his blood has secured a way to God. Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted Him before us, now their praises fill the sky. Thou hast washed us with Thy blood, Thou art worthy Lamb of God. Thou hast washed us with Thy blood, Thou art worthy Lamb of God.